It's the H-Dog Pod with your host, Michael the Hound Dog Harrison. Hey, welcome to episode 24 of the Marshawn Lynch again edition of the podcast. I know, I know, he was the athlete I picked last episode because he wore 23 with the Bills, but I couldn't not pick him again for how awesome he was with the Seahawks, where he wore number 24, and his legendary phrases like, I'm just here so I won't get fined. And I'm just about that action, boss. What a butron. He came out of retirement late last season for Seattle when approximately 257 running backs got injured at the end of the year. He picked up four touchdowns in three games. Then afterwards, added to his epic phrases where he cautioned to young players to take care of y'all chicken. I'm very pumped to have on my next guest on the podcast. I met him years ago at TSN when he was doing some broadcasting for the Ryder Cup. So let's get to it. Without further ado, let's get cracking. Okay, now welcome on David Hearn. He's among the great Canadian golfers on the PGA Tour, which is set to start back up June 11th at the Charles Schwab Challenge. David has also moonlighted with some broadcasting work for TSN. Welcome to the H-Dog Pod, David. Yeah, thanks for having me. But first off, the Tour hasn't had any uh, official tournaments since the Players' Championship in March. Uh, what have you been doing during this quarantine period to work on your game? Yeah, I think I've been like uh, just about everybody else at home. I ordered a net. You know, I've just been hitting balls in the backyard and uh, just trying to stay active that way. And, you know, I'm not too disappointed that I wasn't playing a ton of golf. Um, you know, obviously, I, I love competing and I, and I want to be on the PGA Tour right now. But, uh, you know, we're all doing what we have to do right now for, for everyone's health and safety. And uh, so I've kind of hunkered down and, and my kids have kind of enjoyed hitting balls in the net in the backyard, too. But, uh, yeah, thankfully, our golf course uh, where I live here in Florida opened up about a week and a half or two weeks ago. And, we're starting to slowly get back into the routine of playing some rounds again. But, uh, yeah, I've been kind of like everybody else. And I mentioned, obviously, with the quarantine thing, uh, which uh, player during this uh, whole process uh, would you most want to be quarantined with and who would you least want to be quarantined with? <laughs> you know, yeah, the quarantine's been tough because I think uh, – you know, we're so used to like watching sports and things like that with our friends that, you know, it would be hard to pick someone to quarantine with if you couldn't do anything with them, like watch True. sports or go and do stuff. So, uh, yeah, I might have to plead the fifth on that one, you know, for some of it. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Uh, well, no, I guess uh, I can ask this then. Uh, who are some of the uh, funniest guys on the PGA Tour? And uh, do you have any stories that you could share uh, about those guys? You know, there's a lot of good characters on the PGA Tour, and I think, um, you know, growing up through the ranks and you end up, uh, you know, meeting a lot of guys, and I've been on tour long enough now to have known some of the more veteran players and some of the guys that are going on to the Champions Tour. And, you know, I think a lot of guys our generation look to guys that are probably just a little bit older than us. I think think the PGA Tour probably in the 80s and 90s was a – you know, there wasn't as much money, but I, from the sounds of it, it was a lot more fun than it is now when it comes to stories and pranks and things like that. You know, so I look to kind of like, uh, you know, the Steve Pate to the world and, and uh, you know, Tom Gillis was a great character on the PGA Tour for years, super funny and always, you know, wanting to have a good time. Uh, Carl Peterson, you know, <laughs> RBC Kane Open champion, he was a ton of fun to be around and, you know, always good stories and, you know, those those are the kind of guys to me that oh, obviously Lumpy, he's going on to the Champions Tour now as well. He's got a ton of good stories and, and just a lot of funny stuff that's happened. Uh, he, he actually had um, a caddy named D. Rawls, who's just a classic, classic character as far as the caddies go in the world. And uh, The caddy that I've had for 
the better part of the last 10 years. He's good buddies with this guy, B-Rawls, and, and there's just always a million stories uh, about this guy and, and just funny stuff. And, you know, I think, you know, the players have some good stories, but I think those caddies, we've always said to them, you know, you guys got to write a book. You know, I don't know if the whole world would find it funny, but, <laughs> you know, a lot of golfers and the, and the people that know you guys would love to, you know, read a lot of these stories, so... Uh, there's a lot of good ones. Some of them are, are good for TV. Some of them aren't. But uh, D. Rawls was always good for a good laugh. Uh, you know, when it comes to uh, you know stories, none of them were were uh, ones you can't share. But he, he's a pretty funny guy. So. <laughs> Carl Peterson, uh, is this actually true? And I think it was I want to say 2010 RBC Canadian Open that he won, or 2011. Uh, is it true that he? Uh, or can you corroborate? I think I heard somewhere that he thought he was going to miss the cut on Friday, so he uh, had like eight or nine beers or something like that, and then. Oh crap! I made the cut and played early morning Saturday. Shot like sixty-one or something like that, and then he ended up going on to win. Yeah, actually, your story is pretty accurate. It was actually at St. George's where we were supposed to have the Canadian Open this year mm-hmm. um, when he won that tournament, and uh, he did. He he came in. He was probably part of the morning wave on Friday. Came in, felt like you know what? I'm not making the cut, and I think he was planning on getting a flight out or something like that. And something we have a, a tour travel agent that uh, that goes around the PJ tour with us, and he, he books all of our flights. And um, you know, he was probably sitting with him, and they were looking at flights. And something happened. And anyway, I, I think your eight or nine beers was a little bit light from what I've heard of the stories go. <laughs> and uh, he ended up, you know, by the end of the day, just sitting in the clubhouse, hanging out, whatever. He ended up making the cut, and uh, he was one of the first groups out on Saturday. I believe he shot six actually on Saturday. 60. He had a chance of 59 wow. and uh, went on to, to win on Sunday. Uh, it was him and Dean Wilson, if my memory is uh, yes. correct on that. Uh, we're in the final group, but, and Dean was playing great and uh, had a chance as well. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, Carl's classic for that. I remember one year he came out, he, he was always a little bit heavier guy and, and uh, he kind of had a really unique action. And, um, he had, uh, he had trimmed down one winner spent a lot of time working out and everything like that. And uh, he ended up playing terribly for the first half of the year. And I ended up uh, putting, you know, 30 or 40, 50 pounds, whatever, back on. And then one by the end of the year, he's like, forget this working out stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's always got some funny, you know, there's a lot of characters. And like I say, these young guys, I'm sure they've got a lot of funny stories too, but it just seems like more of the younger athletes take it. And so they should. They take it very seriously, and, and you know they spend a lot more time in the gym than the, the older generation used to. And, and uh, but the, I think that older generation of guy, for whatever reason, uh, just always seem to be good storytellers. A lot of good stories from when the tour wasn't as uh, you know high profile and there wasn't as much money on the line. <laughs> and also, social media wasn't the uh, you know prevalent obviously in the '80s and '90s, so they probably can get away with a lot more stuff than they definitely could now. Yeah, I think, you know, I think that's probably the case for a lot of sports where some of these idols that people have looked up to since they were young kids, maybe not as perfect as they had envisioned if the world had social media back in the day. You know, maybe that's part of the good and bad. We could have a whole other pot about that, about the pros and cons of social media, probably more cons than pros. But mm-hmm. uh, anyway, <laughs> it's all good. Carl Peterson not uh, liking the fitness as much and uh, likes to have a couple wobbly pops. I'd be remiss not to talk about my favorite golfer, of course, apart from you, uh, John Daly. Uh, have you played with John before? And uh, he's a, he must be a ride, eh? Yeah, I, I've played with him a bunch of times. And, and, and uh, John has obviously the reputation that he has. And, and, you know, the one thing I'll say about John is, uh, 
you know, he, whatever you think of the guy, he actually he actually has a pretty big heart, and he's he's actually a good person under all that. And uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's gone on around him, and, and uh, you know, most of the guys on tour they, they like John. Um, definitely, uh, you know, a well liked player, but uh, it just seems like uh, drama always follows that guy around, and, and uh, you know, obviously with the the wives and, and every, all the other stories and tales that he's had over the years. But, uh, yeah, he's an incredible talent. And, uh, yeah, just, uh, yeah, good guy underneath all that. I love that. I can't wait for him to win a major again, and it'll be the greatest day of my life, for sure. <laughs> well, I don't think he'll be winning any majors on the PGA. Yeah, but, probably uh, not. Yeah. Maybe maybe on the Champions Tour. And uh, he's certainly been taking full advantage of riding this cart in, in events for the last uh, however long as well. So. <laughs> He won't be walking up 18 to win that major. You're hoping to watch him win. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what uh, what events are you uh, scheduled to play once uh, this pandemic lifts? Uh, like I mentioned, the Charles Schwab Challenge. What uh, what's your schedule looking like? Yeah, I think it, you know I don't really know to be honest with you. I I was hopeful that I know I would get into Charles Schwab. They're using current your FedEx Cup as one of the criteria, and um, you know I I think right now I'm barely in that field, so you know there's still three weeks to go before the, the deadlines closed on that event. So I'm hopeful that I'll, I'll start up there at the Charles Schwab, uh, the week after I've been fortunate to be given the sponsor spot at the RBC heritage. So, um, I'll, I'll be looking forward to starting back up there. If I don't start the week before, I'll probably play the corn Ferry event the week prior. If, if I don't get into the Charles Schwab. And I think, you know, because this year has been sort of broken up with this pandemic and, and, like this is not a complaint. There's so many people that have so many other uh, more important problems going on in the world that, than this golf issue. But you know, I, I think it's going to be uh, very interesting to see the schedules that players choose. In the past, you know, we've had a pretty good idea of where you're going to get in based on what position you are on the PGA Tour and things like that. You know, I'm not sure everybody at home realizes how complicated it is for getting into events. Basically, if you win, you get first priority. If you're an exempt player. Uh, who kept the card on the top 125 and get in next. And then this year I'm in that Corn Ferry Tour graduate category, so I fall behind those guys. So generally you have a pretty good idea how you're getting into events and whatnot. With the schedule disruptions and everything that's gone on, you know, I, I just don't know. It's going to be very unpredictable uh, in answer to your question. Um, long answer to your question, but it's going to be very unpredictable to figure out when and where you're going to get in. So, uh, I'm hopeful that I'll be playing most of the events this summer. Um, I think there's a good chance that, that I'll be able to play most of them. Um, but, you know, again, I just don't know what guys are going to be comfortable with when it comes to travel or who's going to play what events. And, you know, I, and the new schedule that the tour has put forward, you know, with only one major before the Phoenix Cup playoffs, you just don't know when a lot of the uh, marquee players are going to want to want to play. And, you know, I think everybody's been at home just – dying to get out and get competitive again you know so um i'm hopeful that i'll play you know eight or nine events this summer but we'll see i don't know you mentioned the uh corn ferry tour uh i think it was last week or two weeks ago there's a minor dust up on social media brady schnell uh, calling out vj singh because he's uh vj wants to play a corn ferry event uh was, would that bother you as a player if uh, someone of his uh, legendary stature wanted to play or uh what are your thoughts on, thoughts on that <laughs> you know what I kind of said I did see a little bit of that getting getting going on social media, and I, you know, I didn't I didn't chime in or comment. I didn't think it was necessary. You know, I, I've been on tour long enough to know that 
you know, if you've won on the PGA Tour 20 times, that gives you a life status on the PGA Tour. That gives you the right to play PGA Tour events forever. It is hard to win one PGA tournament, let alone 20. And DJ, I think, won in the neighborhood of 35 events. Mm -hmm. DJ has the right to play in any event that he is eligible for any time. It doesn't matter. He has earned it. It, (laughs) There should be no discussion. There should be no debate. Whether you like him or not, he earned it. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, you know, I know how valuable those spots are in those corn fairy events for guys trying to break through to get to that next level. But you also have to look at it from the other side of that. Um, you know, if, if a guy like Jim Shurek happened to be in that position, or um, I remember, you know, even Jack Nicholas went down to play with his son at the BMW Charity at the Cliffs Tournament on the uh, Fed Nationwide or, or Nike Tour or whatever it was at the time. You know, I don't think there were a lot of complaints. And unfortunately, I think it's just BJ that the guys are kind of poking at here. But, um, you know, regardless of what everyone says, I mean, he earned it. It's his spot. He can play if he wants. It is what it is. So that's how I feel about it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm curious uh, your thoughts on uh, playing golf without fans uh, being there at all. It would be super weird. Yeah, it's going to be different. And uh, I was saying to somebody the other day, I said, you know, there are some players that are going to be a lot more used to it than others. And, you know, <laughs> there's certainly been times where I've gone out to play and, and uh, you know, I've certainly had lots of occasions where I have had no fans on the golf course when I've played. So uh, it just, you know, for some guys, it'll be an adjustment. I think it'll be strange um, on the weekends, especially, you know, and coming down the stretch when the tournament's on the line to, for a player, he's so used to feeding off the, uh, the crowd and, and uh, the emotions of everybody there. So I think, you know, that'll be different. But I think Thursday and Friday, you're not going to feel a ton of difference without spectators there. And I certainly hope that, uh, you know, sports in general are able to have spectators and fans back out, um, you know, in the near future. But I think we're all just sort of waiting to see, you know, what kind of guidance we get from the CDC and, and the powers that be about, you know, what we're allowed to do and what we're not allowed to do. So, um you know, it is what it is. It's a unique time, and, and we'll deal with it. Yeah, and uh, this past weekend, there was the skins match with uh, McElroy, DJ, Matthew Wolf, and Fowler. And, of course, this coming weekend, Tiger Phil uh, in a match with uh, Brady and uh, Peyton Manning. Do you watch uh, a lot of golf, and did you watch those? And, and uh, does it, it? there was obviously no fans for that, too, so it was definitely very unique. Yeah, and I, I did watch a little bit of that on the Golf Channel. Um, I think that was just yesterday that it was on, and... Um, yeah, it was fun to watch. And, you know, I will say I was happy to see that the, the guys were carrying their own bags and they were, um, you know, they were doing a good job of keeping the pace of play going pretty good there. I think the cameramen were probably having to catch up to the players uh, more than more than they're used to. Uh, those guys all play pretty fast. So. Especially DJ. Um, yeah, I, I don't watch a ton of golf when I'm at home, but, um, you know, I, I get to experience it a lot in person. But, you know, it, it is nice to watch something on TV other than uh, – you know, reruns of <laughs> some of your old favorite shows and whatnot. Yeah, um, yeah it, it's going to be a little bit different. And, you know, I think golf, too, is going to be in a unique situation because they're going to be one of the first sports to come back. They're also going to be, you know, probably scrutinized a little bit more because of that. So I think, you know, people are going to be watching that at home. So the tour is trying to do their absolute best to ensure the safety of the volunteers and, um, the players and everybody involved 
Uh, so, you know, their best interest is to make sure that everybody's safe. And, um, yeah, it, it'll be it'll be different, but it'll it'll uh, it'll be the best product that they can definitely put forward to ensure the safety of everybody. Yeah, it was definitely uh, cool watching that uh, the skins match with the players playing. Like I said, super quickly, as you mentioned as well, especially Dustin Johnson. Uh, I was just like, holy crap, this is like it's uh, it's definitely unique and it's pretty fun to see uh, uh, those guys get out there. I'm, I'm more excited to watch the Tiger versus Phil match. I think that should be a fantastic one. Yeah, I think that you're going to get uh, a lot more, you know, sort of back and forth banter from especially the football guys. I don't think you know we all watch well. Not everybody watched, but a lot of people that watched the Tiger and Phil match uh, from a year or two ago, you know, I think everyone was maybe a little bit disappointed with sort of the uh, the banter between shots. And I think with uh, Brady and Manning there, uh, I don't think there's going to be any shortage of uh, of banter between the guys. It should be pretty entertaining. You know, when when it's not your field, you know, you feel probably a little bit more confident in making those statements and things like that. So it should be, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. I think that match. Um, yeah, I think, you know, for people at home, it might be interesting even watching the match that, you know, that we're talking about yesterday. And a lot of people are used to watching guys like Ricky and DJ in, in a competitive environment, and they don't realize what they're like, you know, in practice rounds or just at home playing for fun with their buddies. And, uh, you know, they have a lot of fun with the game. And definitely, you know, I think people can respect the fact that, you know, we watch so much golf on TV, you know, we think of the game as kind of slow and, and it can get a little bit boring at times, but you know that's not necessarily the way it is when we play at home. Uh, like DJ is fast all the time. McIlroy's pretty fast all the time as well. And you know, like you say, I mean, there were lots of times the camera wasn't even ready and DJ was already firing. Uh, that's just the way he is. He does that, you know, whether it's the last hole of a, a major or whether it's you know a practice round. He, it's 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 a good example for for the golfing world to see. Yeah, absolutely, definitely. Uh... Pace of play has uh, been a hot-button issue for years and years and years on the PGA Tour. The, the, those players were mic'd up uh, for that match. Would you be uh, for or against, uh, if you're trying to win a PGA Tour event, uh, being mic'd up? I, we've had the opportunity to be mic'd up before lots of times. And I think, you know, it, it's hard because I think what guys are going to do is they're always going to, you know, if you miss a shot, you're always going to kind of fall back on, did I miss it because I was mic'd up or did I just miss it? And then you don't want anything, you know, maybe, maybe golfers' kitchens are a little bit smaller than they'd like to be, but, um, you know, it's definitely, you know, something guys don't want to add that element in. Um, I, I, I'd have no problem with, with, you know, having more fan experience, being able to hear more of the interactions and whatnot. You know, the guys did a pretty good job of keeping it, sort of PG, not that guys in, in golf have terribly foul mouths, but, you know, I think that that's obviously a concern in any sport, you know, the, when the cameras get right down there after they hand out the Stanley cup, you know, <laughs> you hear a lot of things that you probably don't want to hear on national television. And I'm sure it's the same across all sports. So, you know, there's always a fine line that you want to walk, you know, covering it. Yeah. I want to be as close to the action as possible. But then if you hear some of the stuff, some guys say, you're like, Whoa, whoa, whoa you can't do that. Well, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, what did you want? Did you want to be down there when they're handing out the cup or did you not want to be? So well, it happened this know, year, uh, it happened this year uh, on Monday Night Football with uh, the new, uh, last year, sorry, with uh, Sam Darnold. Uh, you know, they mic the guys up, and you, you never get anything of substance ever. But then there was a comment about, oh, I, you know, I was seeing ghosts out there, and then of course it was like, oh, it was like an outcry, like, oh, how could you have aired that ESPN? But it's like, 
what do you want? You this is the, whole, the whole point of making these guys up is to get good stuff, and then they get good stuff, and then people complain about it. It's ridiculous. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that's that's kind of the hard part with golf being mic'd up too. Is there's you know there's four or five hours of of all the players being mic'd up. So there's some good stuff in there. There's some not good stuff in there. You know, what do people want to hear and what they do not want to hear? Like, you know, I think a lot of people want to have the real experience, but you know, sometimes when they get the real experience, people aren't too happy with what that real experience might be like. So it's kind of a catch twenty two in the in their sports world, I'd have to think. I always said about uh, players, um, especially hockey players, because they have this, generally speaking, a lot of people think they are boring. They don't say anything of any substance at all. And then the second you actually do get a clip of a player saying something, it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. You can't be saying that. It's like, but like, you, you can't have it both ways. You want them to say stuff, yeah. and then they say something, and then you hate it. It's like, oh, it's just so dumb. Well, I, I think the uh, the Ryan O'Reilly interview with Scott Oates after the cup last year was, was pretty classic. You know, once we got that lead, we knew we were going to fucking get it. You know, I was sorry. I I so amped up. I'm so sorry. You know, like he, the apologetic Canadian, you know, knowing, knowing he made a mistake quickly back to back. <laughs> you know, you know, it's, it's unfortunately, well, fortunately or unfortunately, it's just part of sports. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's funny. Uh, what was it like trying to win uh, your first PGA Tour event? 2013, you were in a playoff at uh, the John Deere Classic, and then 2015 again at the uh, at the Greenbrier, losing to Spieth and, and Danny Lee. Of course, uh, I can't even imagine how difficult it would have been at the 2015 RBC Canadian Open. I believe it was three holes of play you were leading that tournament with DJ and uh, – or it was Bubba Watson and Jason Day and a bunch of big names uh, in the mix – uh, tell us about how, how difficult it is to win. Not only win, but try to be the first Canadian player to win the National Open in like 61 years. Yeah, you know, all of those experiences were, were pretty unique in their own way. It's funny how funny how golf is. Um, you know, the, the RBC Canadian Open is, is still a highlight to me to this day. And, and I, you know, I'm not sure my recollection may be getting a little bit fuzzy on it, but, you know, I, I may have been tied for the lead or right around the lead with three holes to go. But I know J-Day, Birdie, you know, all the holes coming in and Bubba birdie the ton coming in. I was playing with them. Um, and, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to, it was just one of those things where I played solid on that Sunday and I ended up shooting under par, but I just, you know, it was one of those tournaments that year where, you know, I needed to shoot three, four, five under to control my destiny uh, at the end of the day. And, and, you know, I gave myself chances. It just didn't go my way where, you know, I think some of the other, uh, at the, John Deere, I felt like that was the one tournament that probably, um, looking back, you know, I had I had a lot of chances, and, and that was my first time that I was really in the mix and had a chance to win a golf tournament on the PGA. And you know, I think um, some guys are really good at you know rising to that occasion the first time they're given that opportunity, and you know, I, I certainly, you know, I'm proud of the way I played, and, and I, you know, it's hard looking back at it saying I would change things that I did, but. You know, I think, um, you know, that was one that uh, it was hard because, you know, I just couldn't quite get over the hump. And obviously, I still haven't won to this day on the PGA Tour. I, I still believe I'll get there. And I think I'm starting to try to build a foundation for a game that can really uh, do better in those situations when I when I get back into the leading situation, you know, on the back nine on Sunday. Uh, but it's difficult because, you know, you don't get that many opportunities in your career. You, you'd like to think that they're going to come along all the time. Um, and I think I remember, you know, talking to Azinger, and now he's obviously um, the lead commentator 
um, for NBC, I think. Uh, but he, uh, he he's mentioned it before too. You know, he ended up winning the one major, and he had a bunch of chances to win majors before. And I remember talking to him. He's like, you know, when you're young, you get in there and you don't win it, and you're like, man, don't worry about it. You know, I got a ton more chances at these. And then by the time you're done at the end of your career, you're like, oh my gosh, I really didn't have that many chances at it. So, you know, you just always assume as a player or an athlete that you're going to have tons more chances. You know, sometimes you do and sometimes you don't. Uh, I honestly, you know, I'm 40 years old now. I know I'm going to have more chances. Uh, I've got a number of good chances ahead of me. But it, the point, the way the golf game has changed right now, um, it's certainly, I'm going to have to pick and choose my golf courses a lot better than probably when I was younger. The game has gotten so long. I think you can look at, you know, that exhibition yesterday, obviously Rory hits it a mile, DJ hits it a mile, but even a, you know, smaller guy like Ricky, um, he hits it out there pretty hard. And, you know, the young breed of guy like these Matt Wolf, this seems to be this sort of model of player coming onto the PGA tour now more and more of them every year. Uh, they kind of hit it far and try to figure it out after that next. So uh, it's definitely different than when I was getting onto the PGA Tour and developing. Um, you know, Weirzy would probably tell you the same thing. You know, it's, it's a different game than the one that, you know, we're trying to play. You know, we're not trying to overpower golf courses. So there's still a lot of golf tournaments on the PGA Tour where I can compete that way. Uh, but it's, uh, you know, definitely, definitely changed. So I, I learned a lot from those. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's definitely... I've got a few more chances in me, but, you know, we're working at it. Uh, When you do win, I will be a rich man as well, because I always bet on you every single tournament. And uh, when you win, I will be super thrilled for for that and for you to get that first victory. Mike Weir, you just turned 50, and you were a part of a huge Zoom call with him. uh, That included Jack Nicklaus. Uh, How fun was that, and what did uh, did Mike mean for you uh, for your career? Yeah, Mike meant a tremendous amount for a lot of of Canadian golfers. Most of the young guys on the PGA Tour, I that was a lot of fun. I'm, I'm glad that PSN uh, and Weeksy and Duffy uh, hosted that for us. That was an awesome way to, you know, show respect to Mike for you know everything he's done for Canadian golf and for the players that are involved. And um, you know, it was a ton of fun. And I know he's excited. He's been working like crazy. I, I've never seen guy work so hard. Um, you know, leading up to the Champions Tour, and, and I know he's going to have good success out there when he gets out there. Um, you know, I think um, you know we're the uh, for me, and actually I forgot to tell him on the Zoom call, the first time I I played against him, uh, you know, I would have played maybe uh, in 1995, the uh, Canadian Masters at Heron Point. And, you know, he was just getting going, and I was, at that time, I was a teenager. And then, you know, I went to college, I finished college in 2001, um, and then he won the Masters in 2003, and I was already a professional playing on the Canadian Tour and ended up getting status on the uh, it was called the Nationwide Tour back then, now the Corn Ferry Tour, uh, shortly after he won the Masters. So I was a bit more into my career than some of the other guys that were on that call. A lot of the younger guys were, you know, high school students or, or even younger when he was in the peak or prime of his career. The green jacket is going north of the border. Mike Weir has won the Masters. You really don't understand the impact that he had on so many of these players. Um, he definitely had an impact on my ability to move to the professional ranks. You know, he set a tremendous example for how to perform. Um, you know, Mike is certainly, you know, the little engine that could, 
You know, he certainly wasn't the longest player. He wasn't the most accurate necessarily, but he had an amazing short game. He had an incredible ability to hit good iron shots, and his mind was incredible. Uh, his ability to believe in himself and to hit shots and his dedication to practice and the way that he approached the game. I remember playing with him um, some practice rounds when I had first turned pro. You know, I got into like U.S. Open or whatnot. And, I mean, his focus and dedication in practice was incredible. And I think that sets an example for everybody. And, and when you see the fact that we have eight or nine golfers on the PGA Tour at one time right now from, from Canada, like think of that. Mm-hmm. It's because of that example and that belief in themselves that was given to them by Mike when guys, especially teenagers, young players, see Mike Weir win the Masters. They, Man, I can do that. You can do that from Canada. You know, this is the way you do it. And he showed us all the way to do it. And, uh, you know, it's incredible to see. Not everybody has as much talent as he has. Uh, so it's, you're not going to see guys necessarily win eight, nine, ten times like he did. But, you know, somebody will again. And he's definitely set the example for, for a lot of the players going forward. And he would say the same thing probably about the generation before him. He would probably say the same thing about uh, – you know, Zoke and Halderson and, and even back to Newton and, you know, some of those guys uh, that sort of paved the way and Dave Barr before he had a chance to get on the PGA. But that's just the way, you know, the way it goes. And, you know, Weir's has been a tremendous example for us. Yeah, the, the two words I would use to describe Weir would be heart and gutsy because he, whenever he had a chance to win, uh, he obviously never gave up and he was a tremendous competitor. You uh, did some broadcasting work for TSN uh, for the Masters and uh, some Ryder Cups. Did you like doing that, and would you want to continue to do that in the very distant future? Uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. You know, it's uh, obviously how I met you for the first time, and uh, I certainly hope there's stuff to broadcast going forward right now. <laughs> uh, but you know, it's it's not something that I really I necessarily thought much about doing in my career uh, when I was younger, and but I've had a lot of fun doing it, and um, you know, it's certainly something that I could see myself doing a little bit more of. Um, you know, as I kind of get a little bit older and maybe my golf game sort of uh, slows down a little bit, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely, um, you know, it's a fun way and, and you look at it in a lot of other sports too. Right? And, you know, a lot of guys in football and, and hockey and basketball, you know, it's definitely a way for them to kind of continue to stay involved. And, you know, most of the players that, that I've spoken to that kind of, or athletes, anyone in, in any sport, they, you know, they kind of miss that camaraderie that they get from, from their, uh, you know, teammates or the guys they're competing against, and I think that's a good way for a lot of a lot of athletes to kind of continue to get that feeling, even when they're kind of not competing at the level that they were used to when they were younger. So, you know, it's definitely it's been fun, and uh, you know, it's a little bit of an eye-opening experience. You know, the, the other side of the camera is definitely a lot different than than playing golf. So, I'm going to try to keep doing as much as I can playing golf for a while and help you be that rich man when I win a few tournaments and. And then I'll get into the broadcasting later. <laughs> yeah, that's why I said the very distant future, because uh, obviously you're going to be uh, winning some PGA Tour events, definitely. Lastly, I'll get you out of here on this. Uh, talk about the uh, David Hearn Foundation benefiting uh, the Alzheimer's Society of Canada. Yeah, um, you know, I was fortunate to be in a position where, you know, I we had been hosting an event for a number of years. And we were raising some good money, and we felt like the next step was to kind of create a foundation to kind of, you know, uh, put our name and, and have a little bit more input into how how we're uh, raising or what we're raising money for. You know, it's been tremendously rewarding for me to 
to be involved in that. And, um, you know, I'm not sure what our tournament this year is going to look like. Typically we host it in July and and right now we put it on hold. We're hoping to host it in the fall, but so much is going to depend on, you know, what happens in the next few months as, as the world slowly opens up and gets back to, you know, I think everyone's least favorite term, the new normal. But, um, you know, I, Alzheimer's was something that has impacted my family. Uh, my great my grandmother, great grandmother, unfortunately, it kind of runs in, in our family bloodline. And um, you know, when when I had the opportunity to start giving back, and um, you know, it was a pretty natural fit for me to get involved with it, something like that. You know, unfortunately, right now, um, you know, I think for a lot of those patients and and people in that care industry, it's hitting pretty close to home because these types of pandemics they'll you know obviously this is a once in a lifetime uh, pandemic that we're going through right now everybody in the world you know i think we realize it's hitting pretty close to home for a lot of the elderly and, and people that are suffering from things like alzheimer's so uh you know it's definitely a challenging time for for those people and, and our heart goes out to them and you know i can't uh we have a lot of family and friends that are involved in uh you know the medical field and we're certainly you know we're, we're standing behind them 100% and we're so proud of the work that they're doing for everybody. So hopefully we'll be able to get back up and, and uh, raising good money for Alzheimer's Society and through the foundation again later this year. But, uh, you know, we're obviously not sure with, with the climate and everything that's going on right now. That uh, phrase, the new normal, yeah, it's just everything's up in the air. We don't know what's going to happen. But, yeah, uh, hopefully soon enough we'll get uh, back to normal and uh, regular life uh, uh, thank you so much, uh, David, for uh, coming on the podcast. It was a lot of uh, fun talking to you. All right, man. Thanks for having me. That was tons of fun talking to David Hearn. He's such a beauty, and you'll get that first PGA Tour victory once they get back to playing, and it'll make me rich, and it'll be amazing. Loved hearing about his life on tour, and some of his stories were great, especially that Carl Peterson one, and hearing about John Daly and Mike Weir was awesome, too. You can follow him on Twitter, at HearnDavid, and his foundation's Twitter account is at HearnFoundation. Thank you for listening to episode 24 of the H-Dog Pod. Bang. This has been the H-Dog Pod with host Michael the Hound Dog Harrison. Bang. Mm, bang. Mm, bang.